Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the Redshirt King Manifesto. Today, we're going to be breaking down Group D of the League of Legends World Championship. If you're wondering why I'm on my own, you should definitely watch the video called Moving Forward that it was on our YouTube channel a couple of days ago. We are going to be moving right into this, and we're going to start with the team that I think has the least chance to get out to the team that I think is going to win the group at the end. So, of course, we're starting with Misfits. And I know what you're thinking. Chase, you love Misfits, right? This is a team that you thought was going to be the second best team in Europe. Nobody believed you. And then they were. You should be the guy here, right? You've got to believe in them because you did what no one else did, right? No, that's not how any of this works. So there's something that we have to keep in mind, right, when we do preseason predictions and pre-event predictions, right? We have to look at everything in context. In context, I thought the Misfits were going to be a lot better from what they did in the spring split because having someone that could communicate in English from the jungle position should have fixed a lot of the macro issues that we saw from them. And to a certain extent, I think that is true. I think the team was much better at their macro understanding of the game in the summer playoffs. I think that they were much better at distributing wealth accordingly and playing out a very strong early game better than any other team that was at that event. So it's there are a lot of good things to look at here as far as what they did right, this 90% herald rate. Uh, if you look at the 10 games they played in the playoffs, 100% of Elder Dragons, 62% of Barons. Like, they've done a lot of things that, quite well, and I do want to give them credit for that. But they're not playing in just Europe anymore. Now they're playing against the rest of the world. And it hurts to say this as a EU LCS analyst, but I'm not sure Europe's very good. I think that G2 has potential because they are these four-time champions who proved to me at MSI that they can play to a certain standard. I think Fnatic could steal away a spot in Group B because I think that the competition they're against is easy enough to deal with if you have that veteran experience, that, that intangible advantage. Misfits don't have that. They're very new to the European scene compared to most teams. This is the first time they're going to be going to Worlds. Several of these players are rookies. I mean, you look at Han Sama, Ignar, Maxlor, Alfari. None of them have been on a World Championship stage before. Of those four, I think only Ignar had a real notable career. Maxlor, of course, was around 2016 summer for the Giants, but that's not necessarily you know, the kind of experience that we're talking about here. This is on an international stage. Do you understand how to make these rotations, how to adapt to different styles of play? Because all of these regions have their own little twists and turns on the meta. And can you deal with that? Are you intelligent enough as a team to come up with these unique compositions that will allow you to take over these series and my answer to that is no. And I'm not just saying this because I don't think that Daku is a particularly great coach 
in the pick and ban phase, although I don't think that he's a particularly great coach in the pick and ban phase. I think we learned from the spring split that he is absolutely capable of picking them out of a series. And I was not particularly impressed by any of the prep work that they seemed to do for G2 in the finals where they got 0-3'd and it wasn't close at any moment in that series. These are concerns to me. I, I think that ultimately we're in a world championship right now where the defining trait of almost every team that's here is they understand how to play out the early game. You need to understand how to take advantage of those first 20 minutes of the game if you're going to get the advantages that you need to snowball those towers later to keep up with all of these different elements that are that are going to come across your way. You've got to be able to be the one who's setting the tempo. You have to be the one taking control. And Misfits are good at that. Their early game rating has always been solid, even during the times in which they were struggling the most throughout the regular season. But now they're playing a whole bunch of other teams that are also really good at the early game. And so if you don't believe that they're going to win the early game, at least consistently, well, now you're defi- you're dependent upon their mid to late game. And I think that in the mid to late game, their decision-making is still very suspect. I think that they have a very predictable pattern. I don't think that their vision game is particularly great. I don't think they do a very good job of moving up their vision. Ignar is one of those players that can get caught out overextending because he forgets that he should have Max or accompanying him during a lot of these spots. I, I think that they, in general, operate more on this idea of, well, as long as we're making the plays and setting the tempo, we don't need to have that great vision advantage. We can make our plays in other ways. And we have these two great playmakers who I will get to in a second. Don't worry. We Let's just focus on them. But I, I think that their rotations are often pretty slow. I think G2 made them look silly. G2 ran circles around them. And I, I felt like they just, they never knew where they needed to be in time to defend objectives like the Dragons, like the Barons. It felt like a team that was very much out-jungled. Max Lore, I like him for a lot of things. I think he's an intelligent player. I think he's going to have a great career. I think he's not ready for this stage quite yet. I think that he does exactly what you want him to do. And you need a guy who's just a role player. He does his job. But they're going to need someone who's just a little bit more creative in their early game decisions. Someone that isn't so bog standard. In Europe, execution alone absolutely makes you one of the top junglers. But look at the junglers that he's going to be going up against in this group. You've got Karsa, who I always love and will have a soft spark for. I doubt that's going to be a great advantage for you. I I think Sven Skaren, while he is flawed... Certainly TSM as a whole is more experienced in making those kinds of macro rotations. And I think that they have enough of an understanding of the game that they can punish uh, some mistakes that Maxlor is likely to make. And Team WE with Condi, yeah, I have concerns about Maxlor is what I'm trying to say. I think Maxlor is maybe tied with Sven Skarin in terms of jungle talent here. And... I think Sven Skaren's a little bit more variable. I think Maxlor is 
predictable, which is great if you're trying to build up a team. It's bad when you're trying to set yourself apart from the best of the world. They do have these three playmakers, really, ultimately, that, that set them apart. Power of Evil, we know, has the potential to take over games. We also know he has the potential to throw games. I wrote an entire article breaking down his habit of, I'm going to go and get like five kills in the first 20 minutes because I'm roaming all the time. And as soon as I get out of my lane, I am devastating to my opponents. And then I'm going to get cocky and I'm going to ward a bush that I really don't need. And I'm going to get killed because there were three people there and I didn't know because I had no vision. And then I died and then they took Baron and we all feel sad. That's a very power of evil thing to do. And I don't think that instinct has gone away. I think the bot lane, if they're going to win games here, it's going to be because Han Sama and Ignar step up. And I do think that Ignar, this meta is a lot better for him than it's been at certain points in the season. Something like a Thresh, like a Blitzcrank, that's very much in his alley. Those hook skill shots are something that he has routinely done quite well on. And I expect him to continue to be able to do that. I also think that Han Sama is very flexible. I, I think that he can play the Zaya very well. I think he can play Tristana very well. I think that whatever they're going to need him to be, he's going to be able to perform effectively. And I, I think that that's a position at which maybe there are a little bit more, there's a little bit more room to grab advantages, I will say. I think that their bot lane, for instance, is better than the Flash Wolves bot lane and possibly better than... I, not, probably not better than TSM. Biofrost is really good. I'm going to get there in a second. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. But this is a group in which Misfits... My problem with them isn't necessarily that they're a bad team. They're just not good for this group. They're, they're too inexperienced going up against three incredibly veteran rosters. They've got these young guys who I have no confidence on on a big stage in a macro game that is very exploitable against guys that I do know that I trust on a big stage and whose macro game has become refined over years of tinkering with this stuff and adjusting as they have more you know, experience on the international stage and as they have more title defenses in their own regional stage. Misfits have done this once, and they really did it for three series. It was ultimately... If you look at their playoffs, it wasn't that many games. This is a team that really struggled in the regular season, had a losing record in the regular season. And I don't think 10 games in the playoffs is enough to tell me, oh yeah, everything's fixed now. We're all good. All those macro failings that made us look horrendous at times. That's no, no need to worry about that. We're all good. Um... I'm, I'm not buying it, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not, I'm not ready to put myself out there for a Misfits team that I think just needs a little bit more seasoning. They need to go back, you know, like a minor league team, like a, like a young team with a whole bunch of good draft picks. They'll be better next year. This is kind of like Immortals. I think 2018 Misfits could be a really good team. I don't think they're ready. Not, not for this group. There's too many good teams in this group. And let's talk about another good team that I think people are going to be surprised I have this low, and that's the Flash Wolves. I know. I'm shocked, too. When I went through my, my breakdown, 
As you all know, I love Taiwan. I'm one of those weird Westerners that actually cares about a power region that's won a world championship before and makes it out more often from the group stage than North America does. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Had to get that in. With a fewer spot every year, by the way. Okay, I'm done. I promise. I'm done. Because I don't think Taiwan's good this year, and that is heartbreaking to admit because I spend so much time and energy trying to get people to give a shit about this region. I feel like it's always this uphill climb because they don't have a cast that's in English because Riot doesn't seem to care about making them a more pronounced region. And they have the same teams get in at to the finals every year, so it makes people feel like it's stale and boring, which they're not wrong. I didn't need a seventh matchup between Flash Wolves and AHQ. I really didn't. But this is the way of the world. This is where we are. And unfortunately, what this is left for the Flash Wolves is just stagnation. And to be fair, there have been a couple improvements that are really worth noting. Uh, while I praised... If I'm going to praise the Misfits bot lane for their growth over the split, I have to acknowledge that Betty looks like a much better AD carry than even he did in the spring split. I think he's come a long way. I think that he is by far the most consistent player on this team right now. Averaged a 308 gold differential at 10 minutes during his LMS season. It's nuts. It's just nuts. And it's because he has such a great support in Sword Art uh, to help him get through that laning phase. I think they've won the early game by a considerable margin in most of their games. And it's... One of those things that I, I think in another group would set them apart. You know, they the 63.6 early game rating. That's everything you would want from a team if they weren't playing against these other teams that are also really good at the early game. So then you have to look at the rest of this team. And with MMD, I would say he is better. I want to say better. I really do. It would make me feel better as a person if I could say that MMD was better. But let's add like three question marks to that because I have seen some moments where he looked great and I've seen some moments where he is overextending for absolutely no value in getting himself killed. He still feels like a guy who doesn't quite grasp the intricacies of split pushing. Feels a little bit like he wants to make that big play so much that he doesn't necessarily consider that if you wait a little bit, you might have an even better opportunity to make an even better play just a few minutes down the line. I, I think that ultimately their impatience as a team is something that's going to cost them. It's not just an MMD problem. He's probably the most obvious example of it. But let's face it... I, I don't think Carson looked all that great in their final series against AHQ. And that feels like sacrilege to say. I want you to know it hurts to say it. But I felt like his engages were inconsistent. I think he's trying too hard. I think that this is a guy who has spent three years now falling into bad habits because he can get away with stuff. Because he didn't need to refine his game the way that a jungler like Condi in China had to refine his game. 
because there wasn't that next jungler up that was going to push him. Mountain on AHQ is not a good player. He's just not particularly a strong jungler. So yeah, of course that didn't push him forward. And if it wasn't going to come from AHQ, it wasn't until this year where Hong Kong Attitude looked like, oh, they actually as a three seed could be pretty spicy. Because usually it's just been a two-horse race. And then it was a two-horse race again because Hong Kong Attitude absolutely blew it uh, in their two games against Fenerbahce with those three blown Barons. Not over it, but we all go on. It's a team where I just feel like stagnation is the only accurate way to describe it. They haven't gotten better. And we've seen at MSI the danger of this, right? They had that tiebreaker game with Team Solo mid. They almost didn't make it out of the group stage. And if, T if Flash Wolves hadn't made it out and TSM did make it out of the group stage, we approach this entire event so much more differently, right? It's kind of weird how that works. Like right now, we have people talking themselves into Taiwan because they say, oh, but look at MSI. At MSI, Flash Wolves were able to win those games and they were able to take those wins off of TSM. And we think that TSM is really good, so that means the Flash Wolves must be really good. And then you remember that that was a TSM that had Wild Turtle and that exploiting Wild Turtle was a big reason why that Flash Wolves team won. So... Just going down the list, you look at the bot lane is better, but they're not the best bot lane in this division. Karza is good, but I can't call him great anymore. I think that right now, especially in this meta, you know, if this was a carry jungler meta, I'd probably feel quite differently. A guy like Kha'Zix, a guy like Rengar, those kinds of champions can really go a long way towards making a jungler whose gank patterns might be inconsistent thrive. Because all you need is that first gank or two to go well, and suddenly everything works out for you. Whereas when you play something like a Rek'Sai, and your first gank doesn't go very well, or maybe it does go well, but then your second gank isn't necessarily that much better for having it. It's not like the champion benefits from gold right away the same way that a carry champion would. And so you get to this point where Kars's strength now isn't in his mechanical play because these are champions right now where outside of Jarvan, you're really not expected to get like these outplay hard carry opportunities. It's in timing your engages well. It's in having a great view of the map and picking your opponent apart when those openings come. And I'm not sure his sense of that is to the level of international play that we're going to be seeing on the World Championship stage. It feels like he's fallen into bad habits. It feels like he's gotten lazy with his vision. It feels like he's coasting because he's been able to. And I don't blame him. That's, that's on Taiwan as a region for not pushing themselves forward, and I have a lot of reasons why I think they could use a lot of help. I think there are a lot of reasons to believe that had they gotten that help, things would be a little different. But, I mean, we've seen teams now. We have teams like J-Team who have invested. We have teams like Raze Gaming who have invested. And 
it still hasn't pushed the scene forward. And that's a shame. It's a shame that MMD seems like he's always going two steps forward, one step back. And that I think ultimately the flaws that he has aren't going away in time for what they're going to want to do at this tournament. And as for Maple, because I know you guys are saying, but Maple, Chase, what is Maple is really, really good, right? Yeah, Maple's really good. That hasn't changed. I think what's changed is that everybody knows that Maple is really good, and they feel comfortable attacking him now. I'm expecting every team in this group to just gank Maple like three times in the early game. Just keep coming at his lane and say, can you defend this? Can you deal with this? Because if yes, then okay. Your worst case scenario is you manage to disrupt things and prevent Carissa from going elsewhere on the map. And you've put this pressure on the mid lane that Maple just barely survived through. And you, you know, you hope that Betty isn't hard carrying in the bot lane, which to be fair right now, Jin isn't being played. Some of the lethality AD carries aren't as strong as they used to be. I'm not sure that Betty's going to be a guy that I want to bet everything on. I like him. I like him a lot. But I'd rather have Maple as my primary win condition. And I would attack the hell out of that because if they can't stop it, if Carson does try to put pressure on these other lanes, help MMD out, help get the bot lane rolling because that's where... Right now, we're seeing a lot of these ganks go in the meta. Well, then you can just keep Maple down and snowball that mid lane advantage in a way that makes it so much more difficult for Flash Wolves to then turn and get the counter engages and whatever that they're going to need. So I have them third. And I could see them finishing fourth probably a little bit more easily than I can see them finishing second. And that's really sad to say. It's a condemnation of where... Taiwan is right now is a scene that I just have so little faith in them. And I would love to be wrong. I would love to see Karsa take an, another step forward now that he's on this big stage. I would love to see Maple really just pop off and use these mobile mid laners that we are seeing do well. See something like a Corky or a Lucian or, or even a LeBlanc, which we're seeing come back a little bit and just really work on that sine wave pressure to just push up the map and force those skirmishes where Flash Wolves excels. But I think that most of the teams in this group can force them to team fight. And a 5v5 team fight? That's not what Flash Wolves want to be doing. And I don't think that's going to end particularly well for them. So I don't think this group's going to end particularly well for them. But I do think this group goes well for TSM. I really like what I've seen from TSM over the last few weeks. And I'm not just saying that because I actually got to attend the, the finals live in Boston when they beat my beloved Immortals team. Though that did help. Because that was when I realized Biofrost is really good. Like, I know we knew this. This is not news. He's won awards, all pro awards, multiple times. Rookie of the split when he was the rookie. I should not be surprised that Biofrost is really good. But he is so good! Like, did you see that, Rakan? Did you see it, though? Like, he is so intelligent at picking his moments to engage and in picking the moments in which he believes his teammates have the best chance to follow up. 
And that is so massive from a jungler in this meta because you need somebody who can either initiate that engage and allow your the rest of your teammate to pounce on him, get that engage, or you need someone who can disrupt things and give you guys enough time to, to get the flank off or, or maybe disengage for a moment so that you can do the re-engage later. And I, I think he can do all of it. I, I think that Biofrost is... One of the best supports at this event. I'm not going to put a number on it because I'd have to break that down a little bit more detailed. But I think he is... I mean, it, it, do I, is it crazy to say top five supported this tournament? I don't think so. I don't think top five is crazy. I think he's really good at League of Legends. And I think that it's been very good that he is because double lift still doesn't feel like double lift to me. I, I feel like he's not quite as dominant as he was last year at around this time. And I'm not quite sure what that is. I, I don't know if it's a, an attitude thing. Certainly we've heard those rumors about him going out and partying before the tiebreaker games, the most important group stage games, uh, the, you know, which is why he might have been suspended in spring, if you believe the conspiracy theories and or rumors that have just been circulating for a while now. Uh, I'm not going to say either way, but it does feel like a guy who, because he took that split off and because there's maybe been a little bit of a, a distance there ever since, he just feels just a step behind, which is not to say he's bad. He's not bad. He wins his lane on average. He has tremendous kill potential when he pops off in a fight. I think his Tristan is great. I think Isaiah's is pretty darn good. I just don't think he is the, I am going to take over a game now and single-handedly win us this fight because I am double lift, hear me roar. I, I just don't think he's that guy anymore. And the reason I believe this is because I did a, a dive into TSM's damage percentages. You know, we've been going over some of these throughout the, the team by team previews. Uh, and, and I've gone into a couple of them uh, as we've broken down these extra groups one on, in, in this kind of one-at-a-time format. And what you might have noticed is that right now, almost everybody has the 80 carry doing the biggest portion of damage and getting the biggest share of gold. That's where the meta is right now. Even Misfits... With Power of Evil spending the first six weeks getting such a massive share of his team's gold, ended up with the 80 carry and Hansama having a bigger share of the gold by the end of it, and bigger share of damage by the end of it. And that's just not true for TSM. This is still Team Solo mid. This is Bjergsen's team, and I can tell you why. 30% of the team's damage comes from Bjergsen, 26.2% for double lift. And to give you an idea of where this puts Bjergsen, the only players in North America who did a larger portion of their team's damage, Froggen, 37.8%. Poor Froggen. Just want to... I, I understand, like, I love Rick Fox, and I, I wish him and that team nothing but the best, but, like, man, he needed some help. But, yeah, Froggen... Pyrian, Huhi, Hi, and then Bjergsen. And you'll notice that all of those other teams I named, 
either didn't have an AD carry that was all that great. Sure, Apollo for, for Pyrian on Envious did some things, but he was given a lot of help by Hakuo. I don't think he's this amazing damage dealer. I don't, obviously, I don't think that highly of Keith. I think Wild Turtle was one of the biggest reasons that FlyQuest fell flat, ultimately. Stixa is probably the only one where you're like, oh, that's kind of weird that who he got more of the damage than Stixa. But I, honestly, that's just a, a matter of Stixa had a couple slumps here and there, especially when Aphromoo didn't look so great. Bjergsen's the guy. He's still the guy on this team, and he's the one that they're going to be turning to to turn all of these fights. And that's fine. I, I think I like that. I think that ultimately when we look at TSM over the years, they've done their best when they've put their faith in Bjergsen to be that leader of the team, to be the guy making these flanks, to be the guy they give resources to early and really punch through and, and get those great ultimates on something like a Syndra or an Orianna or a Cassiopeia where he can just let his mechanic shine through. Bjergsen is an awesome player, no doubt in my mind. And if TSM wants to put Bjergsen in control and they say double lift, we've, we've paired you up with Biofrost. You can be 90% of who you were last year, and we're still going to be a great spot because you're our number two option, and we're happy with that. I'm also happy with that. That's a fine way to break down a team. And while I wish that Doublelift showed me a little bit more in the regular season, like I said, certainly not a bad player, and certainly a guy, if, if Doublelift is your number two option, you're probably getting out of the group stage, is how I would phrase it. I... I'm a little underwhelmed by the top side of the map. I don't think Hanser looked particularly great this year. If you're one of those analysts, Shakarez did a great video last split of the number of top laners that just seemed to int into Hanser in some really weird trades that just made absolutely no sense. I, I think that this split, you saw a lot of top laners not feeling a need to overextend because you didn't have to carry from the top lane. You could play things like a Shen, like a Maokai. You know, those kind of tanks came back. And Hanser didn't look great. He didn't look bad. Just, he was good. It wasn't great. And on the World Championship stage, I would prefer to have a great top laner rather than someone who I feel like is very much reliant on what the team can afford to give him. He is not someone who makes a lot of plays for himself. And if Svenskeren was playing like 2015 Svenskeren, I'd be fine with that too. Even late 2016 Svenskeren was a step up compared to where he seems to be right now. And I think there's a lot to that. Mostly it's just his early game pathing. It's just never recovered. Uh, everyone on, on TSM had a gold lead on average at 10 minutes, except for Svenskeren at minus 122. That's not ideal, especially not when so much of your team is reliant on being able to get those advantages and kind of snowball them out. The only there, there was not a jungler who played 10 games or more who was worse than him in the early game. And if you want to look at one of the reasons why TSM's early game numbers are nowhere near as high 
as some of the other teams that we talk about in this world championship stage, it's because Svenskeren didn't know where to go. His ganks were lackluster. I, uninspired is maybe a good word for them. Uh, I think that he's very passive in, in a way that he really shouldn't be. Really only looking for like defensive ganks if he has to. And he always seems to be a step behind right now. He's had good moments. He's had individual games in which he has surprised me. So I certainly don't want to rule him off and say, oh yeah, he's he's done, he's doomed, there's no way. There's a way he looks good. I think there's there's a chance that he comes out there and the international stage brings out the best in him. But but probably not. I think Svenskeren and Hanser are good but not great. And if they were in a group in which I thought teams could take advantage of the top lane a little bit more, I might feel differently about where I place them. But I don't think Alfari is going to be able to deal with the top half of the map all that well compared to what Hanser is going to be able to do. I don't think there's a, a gap there. And I don't think there's a gap between Hanser and MMD. Maybe Karsa, you could say, versus Svenskeren turns the 2v2 slightly in Flash Wolf's favor. But I think the rest of the map is more solidly in TSM's favor. And I think TSM's macro is better. I think TSM is a smart team. The one big concern is that early game. How easily uh, Immortals were able to just snowball on them. They do need to figure that out. They do need to find a way to make Svenskeren more proactive. They do need to find a way to make sure they're not the ones on the back foot because so much of this is about tempo. But they've had a month to watch all of this. I believe they figured it out. I trust in TSM and the work that they've done that they're going to find a way to get out of this group. I don't think they win it. I think that there are flaws with this team. And there are question marks with this team. And they're going to drop at least one game that they shouldn't drop. And it's going to feel silly. But ultimately, I think that they have learned from the lessons of last year. And I, th I trust the TSM system to ensure that, one, Doublelift doesn't go out partying again the night before a big event. And two, this team will have made the most out of the practice time that they had. And I... I have faith in them. That's a dangerous thing to say as a fan of Western teams. We learn far too often that putting faith in, in your Western teams is not a great strategy. But I'm willing to go out on a limb for TSM because I think that TSM has a, a greater level of potential to them than the rest of the scene because they've invested so much more in it because they do have this great coaching staff they do have this infrastructure they do have this player in Bjergsen who's just this amazing in mind for the team so they're my number two but you all have figured out that means team we is my number one and that is probably surprising to people because when I talked about Team WE on our play-in preview, and we did our Group A play-in preview, I had a lot of negative things to say about Team WE. And I don't necessarily take all of them back. I want to start there. I do think this is a team that can be lured into unnecessary fights. I do think that this is a team that can give up way more ground than they should because when they make a bad mistake, they sometimes compound it with another bad mistake. I, I'm thinking here of, of game two, I believe, against Young Generation, 
where they, that early game kind of spiraled against them for a bit. And it took them a while to come back into it. And of course, they were much better at closing because they are a team that actually knows what they're doing. And Young Generation really isn't. I, I cannot stress enough how the flip that analysts and fans have made of like, oh yeah, the GPL, we all knew they were good. No, we didn't. We did not know Young Generation was good. I still don't know if Young Generation is good. I think that they beat Fnatic because Fnatic let an amazing XPECA moment happen. And that is not something... You play that game 10 times, I think 9 times out of 10, Fnatic win uh, in that spot. So I'm not going to necessarily say that WE has been these incredible teams that have proven that they've stepped up in that sense. But here's what they have that no one else in their group really does. They have Condi. Condi has developed into such a fun player to watch. And Chinese experts like Kelsey Moser are always going to the versatility of Condi. And it's one of those things that you really don't notice until you're there and you're watching it. You're, you're seeing those games play out. It really felt like he is able to do whatever Team WE needs. Whatever role that is, he needs to be more supportive, he can do that. He needs to play something really aggressive in the early game, he can do that too. I, I, I think that he does well on engaged junglers, and I don't think you really need to worry about disengaged junglers, but I get the sense that he'd probably be able to figure that out. And this is what happens when you have a guy that's been such a veteran of the scene, you know, since February of 2015, he has been a fixture. And I, I think that ultimately, he prefers being on champions where he can carry. I think that overall, Team WE prefers a whole bunch of champions that can carry. They prefer a whole bunch of aggressive champions that can all come in, all get their skirmishes, all get their flanks, all fight all the time. That's what WE likes to do. But in this division, I'm not afraid of any of these other junglers. I'm not afraid of, of where Karsa is right now. I'm much more afraid of Condi than I am of Karsa. That's the world we live in in 2017, guys. It, better and for worse, man. I, I've loved watching him play. I've loved watching Gia play. Gia, man, he stepped up. I gotta give him a lot of credit. He's a guy that I never really had a lot of faith in as a mid laner. I thought he did not have the potential to carry. He felt like a guy who was basically built to play mid lane Lulu, mid lane Karma, those kinds of picks. He makes the rest of his teammates better because he can't take over a game himself. And he's still good at that, by the way. He did play mid-Karma not all that long ago. So if you see that happening again, and you see him falling into that supportive role, that's the Gia special. It could happen. I hope not. Hope not. But totally in play. But more importantly, he has developed a proclivity for roaming champions at just the perfect time. I think his Cassidy is a beauty to watch. I think that as a whole... He has a very good understanding of how to use champions like Talia very well. Even though Talia is a little bit nerfed right now, she still has a good role if you're able to out-macro your opponents. And I think that 
Gia has a very good sense of timing on when to they can get away with skirmishes, when he can get to the side wave and really push this tower. And of course you have Mystic. And Mystic is just a mechanical god. I have so much fun whenever I get to watch Mystic do Mystic things because he is a genuinely fun mechanical player. The way he plays his Kog'Maw, oh my goodness. The, the positioning on that champion needs to be perfect in order to work out. And for him, it almost always was. I, I, I think that he has a much better sense. Compare him to someone like, say, Uzi, who is super aggressive to his detriment, to the point where he will go out and make mistakes that are unnecessary because he feels the need to force that play because he always feels like he can. Mystic feels like a guy who has a very good sense of exactly how far he can go to win that trade. He seems to have a very good understanding of exactly how far up he can be to get the damage down that he wants without giving up a whole bunch on the back end. I think... He is a very mechanically gifted AD carry, but more importantly, he's a very intelligent AD carry. I would argue the most intelligent AD carry in this group. I think the double lift well, he is a veteran. I think he sometimes, he can, he can overextend. He gets a little greedy. He gets that twinkle in his eyes like, oh yes, it's my moment to make a big play. Mystic's a little bit more reserved than that, which you don't necessarily see from Chinese AD carries, but he's found a way. And I appreciate him for that. I even appreciate that they have these two supports in Ben and Zero that they are going back and forth on for this event. Zero hasn't played nearly as many games. I'm not necessarily sure that it's a great sign that they don't have a, a clear idea of which of these two they're gonna be running with. Uh, Zero looked a little bit better, I would say, in the play-in games, but that's only a three-game sample size. Ben, much more experienced with his starting roster. I probably wouldn't touch that unless you really feel like his champion pool is limiting you. Um, but, but either way that they go, I, I think that they have good potential there. The big problem with this team, and, and this is ultimately just the the thing that we have to keep in mind, is that they have a very clear way they want to win the game. And if they can't do that, they're not going to win the game. They love to fight. They're very good at picking fights. If they lose them and they're forced to play from behind, it doesn't go very well. That's something you'll find across basically every Chinese team. Very few of them have the macro understanding to come back from behind and this team is no exception. And as much as I, I praise Mystic for having more of a reserved playstyle than most of his other unhinged Chinese counterparts, it is worth noting that what that means is that teams have said, oh, well, we're just going to keep him down early. Because early on in the laning phase, he is much more likely to be caught a little bit up than when the teamfights come in where his kiting is nearly perfect. Five-on-five five teamfights, Mystic's great. Laning, 
Negative 144 goal differential at 10 minutes in the seven play-in games. And I know that is a small sample size, and we should not read too much into it. But it is worth pointing out that if you look at his regular season numbers, he wasn't necessarily doing that much better. So I, I, I think that there's truth in that. I think that attacking Mystic is definitely the way that these teams should go. But then you give Gia and Condi this easy path up to the top lane. And you're also assuming, of course, that Gia and Condi don't come down to the bot in order to deal with that. Which, if World Elite spent any time watching film in the last week, they'll have realized what I've pointed out, and they'll be coming up with a way to counter that already. So, I, I'm not going to say I feel great about this pick. Group D was the one I had the hardest time ranking because I think any of these teams have the potential to surprise me. The potential's clearly there. I think any of these teams could disappoint me. The problems I had with Team WE as far as playing from behind have not changed. Hasn't changed at all. Hasn't changed the fact that I think they have struggled against teams like, say, EDG or Invictus even with really big star players. You know, when we saw Scout go up against Team WE, Scout could single-handedly win games against him. Zhao Hu can single-handedly win games against him. It let the rookie, oh my goodness, rookie single-handedly tore him apart in basically every map that Invictus took from them in the summer playoffs and in the regional finals. And quite a few maps were taken off of them in those series. So I'm not convinced that WE is going to be as consistent as they'll need to be to win this group. They have not shown that they are that much better than any of the other Chinese teams who I did not place as high. But this is a group without any Korean teams. This is a group in which none of these teams have showed in recent years that they are these unassailable teams on the foreign stage. TSM folded in the last World Championship. Flash Wolves are one game away from folding at MSI, absolutely folded at last year's World Championship. And Misfits, I, I don't know. I feel like they're a happy-to-be-here team. I understand that Misfits' hardcores are probably saying, Betrayal! How could you after you promoted us for so long? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't think that... Misfits is that great of a team. I think they figured out some things towards the end of the split, but I think they have a long way to go. And I look forward to next year. But for now, just have fun. You're in China. You get to play in front of a whole bunch of people. You're building the brand. You get to share your fandom with so much of the world. And you're going to have at least one really great Power of Evil or Han Sama game that you'll get to really enjoy. But I think if I had to weigh the cons out, I think that the top three teams, WE, TSM, and Flash Wolves, are basically, they, they all have flaws that, that worry me about the same amount. And I think WE has a little bit more upside because in, a, in an era in which the early game seems to reign supreme, in which comebacks are a hard commodity to come by, and so much of what teams are able to do relies on getting that tempo advantage and maintaining it throughout the mid-game. Not necessarily always purely the early game, but that transition into the mid-game as well. 
And I think WWE is the best at that of the four teams in this region. So that's that's the team I'm picking to be the top of Group D. Agree? Disagree? Let me know in the comments. Like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Wherever you are, I, I do read all of them. They do mean the world to me. Uh, honestly, it means the world to me that you guys are listening right now to these solo casts as I figure the rest of the future of the Rough Drafts podcast out. Uh, so you're, uh, So you guys just know that you were appreciated and I I make this comment this content for you guys because I I love you all and I want to give the people what they want and you guys deserve to have some world championship preview coverage. Let's watch some fun games, guys. I will keep you up to date as I know exactly how I want to tackle the rest of the group stage. I have a couple things in mind, but I don't want to make any commitments yet until I really hammer it out. Until then, you can find me at RedshirtKing on Twitter, or you can find me in the Discord, which the link is in the comments below. Uh, I really do appreciate uh, the community that we've formed there, and I think it's going to be a very fun group of people to watch Worlds with. And I am going to do my best to watch Worlds with people live. So definitely stay tuned there. Stay tuned here as I tell you guys more about the future of this podcast and of the show in general. And until next time, Bye, Internet.